Hello and welcome to The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a misspent youth productions. We are Codes in the Clouds. My name is Joe. I'm Stephen. I'm Jack. And I'm Kieran. And this week's guest is Katie Tavini. And guess what? We've got a little guy that's going to read you some (laughs) facts. Yes, please. Straight in. (laughs) Straight in with it. Katie Tavini facts. Hello, Robo. Good to see you. Katie Tavini is a mastering engineer based in Brighton in the UK. Before Katie discovered mastering and her love of sound, when she was younger, she used to play the violin and studied classical music. She has worked with some of our favourite artists, including Arlo Parks, Mm -hmm. Ash, Nadine Shah, We Are Scientists, Shall I continue? Yes. Emily Sanday, <laughs> Subways, Michael Price, <laughs> and Mike Venart of Ocean Size uh, Yeah. Ooh. Charlie Barnes would love that as well. Two years ago, Katie and artist producer Rooks started 2% Rising, a networking hub for women and gender minority audio professionals. Yeah. Katie also likes cats, the animal, not the musical. <laughs> Do you want <laughs> Like me, and I like cats, the animal, not the yeah. musical. <laughs> Thank you, robot. I also have my own Katie Tavini. Are fact. you sure that the robot's going to allow this? Oh, sorry. Can I do uh, robot? Am I face. allowed? A, am I allowed a fact? Wasn't. Uh... He's crashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point out because uh, of of all the of all the guests we've had on the paper crane uh, Katie Tavini's name is the best fitting name for the Seven Nation Army chant you're yeah, all singing yeah, it you're all singing true. it in your head now yeah she's gonna get it everywhere she goes oh yes it's, I've, no, that isn't it's, and you guys know me I like to put my name into any song and knowing that that's the big song that people sing people's names to and I don't have a two syllable three syllable I'm gutted yeah it's probably your tenth most irritating <laughs> trait <laughs> uh, but that is actually an undeniable fact an undeniable scientific fact by the way yeah um fantastic but also uh you know i want to say personally well done Stephen kieran on this interview. yeah very well done um, you guys up. have a knack of making a third person sound really interesting yeah uh, but oh. katie's story is really interesting anyway yeah um but yeah it is incredible how few women are actually working in mastery in the uk mm. um and that I mean, it's a shock and a shame. Yeah. Uh, but she talks really brilliantly about that. Yeah, she does. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, I mean, mastering and all all over. Mm. Um, yeah, of course. Um, she, she's obviously always really conscious of it. I, when the Mercury list came out, I, I, I actually thought, oh, that's, you know, it's a good, diverse group. Mm. But she, she she was pointing out the the how few women were in the roles in the background mm. in, in making yeah. that music. So it's something that that yeah that should be brought to attention and yeah two percent rising is does great work in that regard mm. Mm, for sure and yeah uh, we'll put a link a link to to that in the description yeah, yeah absolutely uh, yeah. and also she brings up at one point uh, the importance of looking after your hearing uh, I only very recently went to uh, have molded earplugs made uh, and it was mostly subsidised by the musicians union I think uh, having uh, your ear moulds taken and then having earplugs sent to you I think costs about 300 quid or something like that but because it's subsidised by the Musicians Union I got it for like £50 uh, it was great uh, and I'll also put a link to that so if you're if you're a musician and you're not wearing earplugs like a certain someone in this band you'll hear later uh <laughs> they might be able to help you out. Uh, Once again, yeah, links in the description. So join us at the end of the show for some more Teenage Band Stories, my favourite part of the whole pod, I must say. (laughs) Uh, And please keep sending yours into info at codesintheclouds.net or you can always use at codesclouds if you like Instagram and you like Twitter. Absolutely. Um... That's the, it's Jack's favourite part because he he doesn't turn up on many of the interviews. Uh, and, and also, uh, Kieran reminded me of something that really annoys me about him. So uh, you may well see you may well see the return of another feature for next week too. Uh, but stick around at the end. You know what? Katie was the first and only so far guest to ask us specifics about sample rates and stuff for, for her recording oh, which, really? is, which I think well, that's what we're talking about at the start oh, right, okay. of, of this interview right. but it's testament to the fact that she's a proper audio professional and she really knows what yeah, she's talking yeah, yeah. about yeah 
but thanks so much again uh, to Katie for talking to us uh, yeah we'll catch you at the end is you asking for which sample rate we want like a little initiation test for us <laughs> so you know whether we know what we're talking about or not <laughs> no. whether we're really in a band or not and the answer was a resounding no we don't <laughs> oh i also don't know what i'm talking about so it, we're all good <laughs> well speaking of not knowing what we're talking about what are we talking about let, well let's talk about mastering just to begin with <laughs> okay <laughs> Imagine you're in a taxi and someone asks you what you do and you have to give them a bit of detail. How would you describe mastering and what you do? Well, you know what? Normally, when I'm in a taxi and the taxi driver asks what I do, I tell him I'm a dentist. (laughs) Because there's no follow-up questions. Brilliant. Um, (laughs) Mastering is like three things, but I feel like everyone who does mastering would probably answer this differently. But I think it's a quality check to make sure that the you know the audio is in a good quality and sometimes you know it's really easy to leave things in there which shouldn't be in there um like talking on the end of a vocal mic or something or you know little clicks and pops which i can remove um and just make sure that the mix is functioning as it should um so offering any feedback on that then the second part is the part which is like really hyped online which is the audio processing part and that's just making tiny tiny corrections or not even corrections just tiny little tweaks with eqs and compressors just to get like the extra bit of goodness out of the audio file yeah and then the biggest part of mastering (laughs) is being really organized (laughs) and making different formats um for distribution so vinyl sides a ddp file which is for when people get their cds made up mp3s different sample rate files because all distributors sort of you know have different specs of what they want to distribute what actually is the difference between those different formats like i think like that email you've that you said you received of oh we need it in this version that's like i I could imagine being in that position where you know you've just found out yourself that oh actually we need it in all these different versions that we didn't realize or better get onto the mastering engineer like what's actually the sonic um, difference not not a lot <laughs> not a lot <laughs> at all um i mean you know if you compared um so it's it's normally the actual format so the format we i know we were talking about this earlier but the format that goes on a cd is a 44.116 bit WAV file right and if you compared that to like a 96k vinyl master it will sound a bit different just because one's a lot higher quality um I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this. Do you have a favourite format that you like to listen to then? Because a lot of people say vinyl is their favourite way of listening to music. They think vinyl is the best sound quality in music. So is that true? or? Yeah, I think so much of it depends. I feel like people really enjoy vinyl because it's quite... It's like a little ritual, you know, going and buying a new record, putting it on, like it's a very physical thing whereas you know streaming can be really really passive um i see so many kids walking around town and they've got one earphone in and they're chatting to their mates and they're sort of half listening to music and they're half chatting to their mates and so you know some people just consume music really differently i i tend to buy records as an item of merch (laughs) and then either use the download code or stream it on tidal um just because it's kind of convenient i mean the most time I listen to music is when I'm sort of walking on the go really because I'm sat down listening to yeah. music <laughs> all day yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah can you enjoy music just in the same way when you're not working yeah yeah absolutely if, I think it makes you more excited to listen to a record of like a band you really like when you've had nothing to do with it as well I don't know and you can kind of appreciate all of the sort of all of the work that's gone into it and everyone who's worked on it and the different parts and stuff. And yeah, it's just really exciting. Do you ever not purposefully listen out, but can pick out techniques they've used? Well, the thing about mastering is you're doing a quality check on, you know, music. So you're being really objective. So I feel like I'm extra objective when I listen to (laughs) stuff that I've never, you know, never heard before. And I'm kind of, I just enjoy it and get into it. 
you know, I used to produce and I used to be able to hear like, oh, they've used this synth here, they've used this kick drum sample here, that kind of stuff. But it's not really, it's not really the same with mastering. Why did you end up in mastering then? Because obviously uh, um, you're an accomplished musician, violin player. I assume at uni it wasn't like mastering focused, it would have been producing, right? Um, actually, I did like my main bits at uni were performance oh really oh okay yeah and uh there was a small recording studies module and i just loved being in the studio so much and i used to buy my friend's studio credits with beer <laughs> so i could stay in there as long as possible <laughs> yeah there was no real like mastering tuition or whatever i just kind of fell into it i mean one day someone asked me to master something and i didn't really know what i was doing um and he really liked it and the band really liked it but I had worked in studios for a while, um, engineering and producing and mixing before that. So it wasn't like completely new, but it was definitely a new way of thinking. But yeah, we spent ages on this EP and it just kind of fell together and they didn't hate it, which is always nice. That's the main thing. <laughs> it is. And then off the back of that, I got another, I got an album job, which did really well on the punk scene and then those punk bands... Uh, just asked me to master stuff and then I thought I'm going to have to learn how to master now <laughs> um, so yeah it's, it's been a it's one of those say yes to everything situations um, right but um, yeah it's been a big learning curve for sure but I mean like obviously your success in the field is like shows that you've got some sort of specific talent for that stage of the process you know what? I've just got a really short attention span and I really like finishing things <laughs> off. Like, right, yeah, no. <laughs> I really like the start of the journey. Like, I loved engineering sessions um, in the studio with the band because you're buzzing off everyone in the same room and it's really creative. I didn't love producing, though, because the sort of everything's on fire. No, you don't mean, like, from the skill <laughs> side of it. You mean from the sort of perseverance and doing the same thing over and over again the same thing over and over again and also I was rubbish at mixing like really I just couldn't get my head around it because there's so many options and I don't know it just wasn't a good fit for me um and I always think like stick to what you're good at so I didn't know I was good at mastering but I did know that I wasn't good at mixing (laughs) so um that was a bit of a no-brainer but do you feel like comfortable to like liaise with whoever's producing the record or the artists themselves to say like oh this mix should change if you want this desired effect at my stage yeah totally um it's what it's a weird one because I listen to so many mixes now like probably 10 different mixes a day I've gotten really good at spotting things that, you know, could be better or oh, that's what they're doing here or just kind of just really critical listening. Um, but if someone opened a session file and said, here, mix this, I would panic. I would not be able to do it. You know when you can understand the language, but you can't speak it, but you can tell what they're saying? Yeah, no. I feel yeah, like it's the same get- thing. It's it's like in writing, you know, like if you're a melodist or a harmonist, I suppose, like yeah, totally. some people are better crafting the, the original like framework and some people are better with the finishing touches. Um, yeah, but like do artists request your feedback with the, with the actual mixing stage? Um, or... It's interesting. So since the pandemic, quite a lot of artists have been mixing themselves. You know, maybe not mixing a whole project themselves, but maybe they'll say, oh, um, I kind of learned how to mix a bit during lockdown. I'd really like to mix one song off an album myself and I'll get a mix engineer to do the rest of it. And that's really interesting seeing sort of how they approach it. They, It's just, um, it's really organic often um and it's really nice to see but yeah a lot of artists especially ones who mix themselves ask for for some feedback and i think that's really cool so like in general they're quite open to that or is is that sort of dependent on the size of the artist would you say or generally they're quite they, they want your input at that level um 
I mean, yeah, sometimes. Like, it also depends how... Because when a mix gets sent to me, 99% of the time, the you know, everyone's happy with it and that's been signed off. It's only really a couple of cases um, where people might say, oh, you know, I really struggled with uh, mixing the kick drum, for example, on this. Can you just sort of keep an eye out on it and let me know if there's anything I can do better? Or, um, you know, it kind of depends on my relationship with the producers and the mix engineers as well. I've got some people who ask for feedback every single time and that's totally cool. Um, and I've got some people who never ask for feedback and that's cool too. <laughs> but it's, it's inter- what, what you're talking about is like, seems like there's this kind of like line between it being this sort of purely engineering role, like quite passive and subservient to the, to the intent of, the artist and the producer versus your own artistic creative input on it. Like if I was going to come to a, to a mastering engineer with like prestige and people want to work with that person, I would be thinking people want to work with them for a reason. And I want as much creative input as I can, but it seems like even at your level, your sort of default setting is to just assume not to interfere unless absolutely necessary or unless asked. Yeah, I think it's all about really good communication, though. Like, you know, if if people have spent a month working on a record and they've produced it in a really specific way, in a beautiful room, and they've got, loads of, you know, really amazing instruments on there, amazing performers on there, and the sound has been really, really well thought out, you know, and then it's it's been mixed again, loads of attention to detail and stuff. It's not really my job to come and then go, oh, <laughs> let me, you know, let yeah. me turn the bass yeah. up like a shit ton <laughs> on this without being asked. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's not really, that's not really the vibe of mastering. I mean, you know, people are generally really happy with their mixes and their sound by the time it gets to me and it is sort of just tiny, tiny tweaks. A lot of it is sort of making sure that um, masters translate on different speakers. So, um, you know, tiny Bluetooth speakers or your iPhone speaker. So many people listen to music on their MacBooks now. Um, And it's just, you know, just making sure that it's not going to go horribly wrong. On any of those things how much can you change uh you know the final output according to what people are going to listen to it on like if someone listens to it straight from their phone it's just it's gonna sound crap like can you really uh, adjust for that or um yeah to a certain extent so um i always think the main thing is kind of getting a mix really controlled so that um there's no for example um, if you play something with a really uncontrolled bass on a, you know, a MacBook like this that I've got here, it makes the keys up oh, on my MacBook. It makes the keys rattle. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can just kind of be wary to sort of, you know, just make sure that everything's tight but stylistically appropriate. Do you also have to adjust for, like... Um different like streaming platforms like because i assume that they've got their own sort of automatic mastering or or not really mastering but just leveling things up on a basic volume level yeah so most streaming platforms will um process the sound there's um there's an interesting plugin called master check by new gen audio and that basically i think it's called master check i can't remember it's been a while that basically you can put it on your like output and it shows you or you can hear what different streaming services are doing to your track. Um, I always just do one digital master though and then an Apple digital master if it's required um, because streaming services change <laughs> over time yeah. and if you compensate now you know it's not necessarily going to sound amazing on there in six months a year 10 years 
So I always just think if you can get the master to sound as best as it possibly can, then sort of streaming services can do their worst. Do you have to take like special care of your ears, by the way, like at gigs and things or? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I feel like I've everyone should I've never worn be. earplugs. I've never worn earplugs in my life. Are you joking? And I'm 35. And we've been on tour a lot. Yeah. Whenever I put earplugs in, it sounds so different. I'm so used to just hearing the in-the-room sound. Have you ever tried, um, like, having custom ear protection made? No. We did. We had in-ears on our... We we've started. We tried to become a professional band on our last record and started wearing in-ears on tour. Um so I guess that kind of helped a bit. I'm unfortunately a massive fan of bands like My Bloody Valentine, where I wouldn't wear earplugs to see them live because I just want to feel all of that music. <laughs> but I know that I'm going to regret it in a few years' time. Yeah, I mean, I spent most of my like teens and twenties going to <laughs> gigs um, without ear protection, um, and no one talked about it. Like, no one... It's only, like, the past couple of years that people are even talking about it. Um, but, yeah, I, I do now protect my hearing. Because if I can't hear, I can't work. And then yeah, exactly, I can't pay right. my bills and I'm just a bit fucked. Because I'm pretty sure I'm unemployable now. So... You said... So you used to go to loads of... Was, was it loads of punk stuff that you were into? Uh, or is that... Because I know that that was the sort of your, your break into mastering, right? As yeah, you mentioned briefly before. I definitely went to a lot of punk gigs in college, um, but I was kind of into everything. Like, um, my dad's really into music. Every, everything, everything. Though, there's a lot to like. Well, you know what? As a mastering engineer, you have to learn to find something that you like about everything you work on. Otherwise, because I I will work on whatever people send me, and there are trends, you know. Sometimes there's a lot of pop, sometimes there's a lot of metal, that's fine. But then sometimes you get a genre that you've never heard of before and you're like, okay, how do I deal with this? <laughs> and you have to sort of, you know, go and do some some critical listening of other, other music. And it's not always stuff that I would want to listen to outside of work, but unless you find something that you really love about every single piece of music you're not going to do a convincing job and the artist will be able to tell. Um, and, you know, I don't want to end up hating my job as well. So I feel like... Said, yeah, you don't want it to turn into it. You don't want it to feel like an office job where you're just processing. That's it. Just to get, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I do like everything, even though it's a, always a cop-out answer. And normally... I judge people when they say they like everything because what actually happens is they listen to Radio 1 and they don't really like anything. No, I think that's the line though, isn't it? Once you be, once you start to learn more about just sound, then you're more able, as you're saying, to pick out something you, that you can appreciate in everything. Yeah, totally. As opposed to the other way, you would have to be, like as you say, you'd either have to not enjoy the job because you'd be doing stuff that you don't like or you'd have to be selective about the sort of music that you choose to to master. And it's, it's quite surprising, though, that you say you, you would literally accept anything. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't rejected anyone on the grounds of them not being good enough. No, absolutely not. Like, I will, yeah, I will work on anything. Um, oh, we can send her on so Kieran, Yeah, we've got <laughs> a chance. That's, she's not going to say no. She's yeah. not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me to say like if someone wants to work with me then fair play I'll do my best with whatever they send me right we're in we're in someone test me on that yeah, <laughs> yeah we might be the first imagine the first if ours is the first band. record you hate yeah. imagine <laughs> I thought I liked everything until I heard this <laughs> I mean that's a tolerance that I've never had. I I just I'm very well known for disliking a lot of music. What's your most disliked genre of music? This is one of the features of this podcast, by the way, Katie, is that he's so close-minded that we that we I'm try and, we try and minded, persuade him but... to like specific, <laughs> specific bands. I mean, there's a lot of music I dislike, but um, 
there's also a lot of music I do like, but a lot of people then don't believe me. So <laughs> it is what it is. But we were talking about even like the Arctic Monkeys before you joined, and I think I was one of the only people that I knew that did not like the Arctic Monkeys when they first came out. Didn't understand. Didn't understand it. I can't say I'm a huge fan, but like. I don't know if I sat down and listened to them, I'd probably be like, "Oh yeah, cool." But the reason uh, we the reason we were talking about them is because like the case in point with them was that um, they were so huge off the off the back of their demos before the album had come out. It was one of those bands that like this, this is like when we were at college when they when they came out and everyone was on these rough demos and they sounded amazing. And then when the fully polished album came out there was a real sense of disappointment amongst most people, myself included. And it's just interesting because of the, the whether you had an angle on that as a mastering engineer. I think the most important thing about a piece of recorded music is the performance because that's, that's what carries it. And if you don't have an amazing performance and a convincing performance as well, convincing performance isn't necessarily always good. But if you don't have a convincing performance, people aren't going to believe you. So how do you, how do you adjust like what you do to suit that initial intention, whether it's based on like the genre or like you're saying, like, you know, a certain intention of, of emotion or performance, what do you actually do differently to adjust to that um well firstly you know people talk about mastering and everyone says oh do you have a go-to mastering chain which is the sort of chain of eqs and compressors and limiters and stuff and i start everything on a blank slate i don't have a go-to anything right i listen to music in the morning first thing and feel what it needs and you know if it needs something i do it (laughs) if it doesn't need it i'll leave it alone um, and sometimes, you know, some things can, um, they might need, if we're going to enhance sort of a punk track and like the rawness, we might enhance and boost some of the really uncomfortable frequencies in the top yeah. end just to, you know, bring out the harshness in the guitars, the cymbals. Um, you know, we're talking about like, one or two db changes here we're not talking about like you know on a stereo where you would really crank an eq that's what i used to do on my dad's stereo when i was little what does that do um but you know it's it's tiny tiny subtle changes but they actually can make a huge um difference to the way a piece of music feels um that's what i really like about mastering because you you know it's not rocket science. It's really fucking basic. But <laughs> those tiny changes all add up. And everything has a knock-on effect as well, which is really interesting. Um, and so by using sort of different combinations of EQ boosts and cuts and compressors and limiters, you can sort of... You can bring out the sound in a way that you wouldn't expect to be able to with like such small minor changes. I, I honestly would have expected that you had like a sort of signature set process that's like your sign off and everyone can see, oh, that's a, that's a Tavini. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's interesting that you have a different, a whole, like you start from blank. Yeah. From scratch each time. But, you know, it keeps everything fun for me because yeah. I wouldn't, Every single piece of music has been performed by different people on different instruments in different rooms with different engineers, with different tastes, with different microphones and mixed by people in, you know, different rooms, again, with their own tastes. And there's just really no one size fits all. And it breaks my heart a little bit when, you know, people say, oh, this is my sort of, this is what I use on everything. Um... Because I always think, well, how how do you know it's right? Um, but yeah, maybe that's just me just trying to like keep the magic happening or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think everything's different, and it should be treated sort of with equal attention, but 
different. I suppose maybe you're like trying to justify this expensive <laughs> bit of gear you're using to be like, well, I better use this all the time because I've just spent like three grand on it. <laughs> Actually, do you use lots of like analog gear, like expensive stuff? Um, bit of both actually, <laughs> bit of both. Um, I have some bits of outboard which only really suit very few bits of music. Um, but it's it's interesting because you know mastering gear is just so expensive. Um, <laughs> I've been working full time jobs and uh, saving up for everything in my studio for like. 10 years so um i went full-time mastering during the pandemic um so you so you decided to go full-time during a pandemic yeah yeah i did insane (laughs) (laughs) it was um i'm not gonna say it was not a stressful time (laughs) um but it was worth it though you know it got to the point where um so my part-time job was um, transferring old formats. So w- working with tape and DATs and mini discs. Um, oh wow, like archiving. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I was working at the British Library because um, they've got the National Sound Archive there, and they're running various projects to digitise it all. It's amazing. It's so fucking cool. That sounds. <laughs> it's it's just a dream. So I worked there for. A little bit, and then they opened up um, some transfer hubs around the UK. So I moved down to Brighton um, to carry on that job, and then went part time. Um, and then, you know, everyone was working from home during the pandemic, and it got to a point where I was having, you know, people were getting in touch for mastering, which was like career progressing stuff. So I couldn't say no. And then I was kind of having to take an extra long lunch break and then push the end of my work day back a bit so that I did all my hours. And then by the time I'd finished working and I'd, you know, done my like late work, people would have got in touch with me asking for like the final formats or revisions or whatever. Um, and it just got to the point where sort of mastering was taken over. And it's a bit weird because I don't know if that would have happened if the pandemic hadn't happened and forced everyone to work at home. Because yeah. if I'd have, you know, still been in, in the studio we worked from, I wouldn't have been able I mean, to To be fair, yes. there wasn't, apart from recording, there wasn't much for bands to do. No. <laughs> but it, it sort of enabled you to, to make that jump into it. Because it's really tough, actually, to, like, know when the right time to to really go for it 100%. You know, quit your quit steady income and, and actually take the risk yeah it sounds like it opened that door for you <laughs> yeah it did but at the same time it it was really sad because you know working on so many things over the pandemic and um you know normally when an album's released you have a launch party and everyone kind of gets yeah. together and watches the band perform and it's just amazing seeing you know everyone in the room and it's just the best feeling and so for that not to happen was, uh, yeah, it was a bit like, I don't know, not depressing, but not good. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go in the future with people being able to go like full time in their creative fields? Do you think that's getting harder or easier? Uh, I've no idea, actually. Like, what's What's your experience with like whatever gatekeepers there are to get to the level you're at? Um, Well, I'm one of, I think, about four women who are mastering professionally in the UK (laughs) at the moment. Uh, I mean, like, only specialising in mastering. There's a couple of really amazing women who are, you know, doing mixing and mastering or recording and mastering, and they're super cool. But as far as people who specialise, you know, women who specialise in mastering... And don't do anything else. I think there's four of us. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of white men. And it's tricky. Uh, you know, at the start, it was really hard to be taken seriously. 
Um, loads of people would say, um, I, I want to go to a man for mastering. Um, when I really? started out, it's probably because probably you're also telling people you're a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the fuck does she know about mastering? <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you floss your teeth, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously, like, there's the gender kind of thing, but actually, that seems to have worked out as a bit of an advantage now because everyone's emailed me saying, I want to work with a woman. Um, and that's well this is this is um your group right two two percent rising the, the, yeah the whole like reason for that when you go on a facebook group and it's like you know music or recording or production oh, try, themes, try and avoid them yeah but when you've got a question to ask and it's all dudes don't get me wrong i love dudes you guys are so cool but you can be intimidating as a group um you know yeah i mean it's to- it's it's toxic enough for me to try and go into <laughs> into those sorts of realms but yeah well we just kind of wanted to create a space where you know sort of gender minorities aka anyone other than cis men can feel comfortable asking a question and not feel like they are going to get mansplained to but also um we kind of figured that there'd be loads of people who aren't cis men making music in their bedrooms. Or, you know, when surveys are done and that statistic of only 2% of women are, you know, credited as a producer in the Billboard Top 40 or whatever it is. That's that's fine, but there's so much more to music. Like, that's just one, like, tiny percent of music happening over there. There's all this amazing stuff happening here. And we just kind of wanted to link everyone up and sort of show that the... You know, it's not a 2% statistic. We're here. Um, And put people in touch and, you know, have collaborations and stuff. I'm in a few little little groups like that where you can ask questions. And I just thought it was, I mean, it was a a guy that was getting absolutely torn apart. But he'd he'd asked like a a basic level question. And it was the temerity of him not knowing. I hate that. The rest... The, like literally hundreds of people are just piling on him in, in this group like like you can't believe you don't know this and I think that, yeah there's a lot of toxic people that are in those groups not to share and benefit they're just there to just show off like I know this and I'm just gonna like ram it down people's throats I find it rank because like everyone starts somewhere and ev- you know everyone has to learn yeah. at some point um, just the fact that people would jump on someone for being interested, like that's <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's horrible. Any any like competition based approach to like creativity just doesn't doesn't work, does it? No. Like, but it's just a shame that you have to use those social media environments to reach yeah, people. I I wouldn't have any of it if kind of I didn't have stuff to promote. But then it's also good if you're say if you're in like a remote area, there's no one around you that you haven't got any sort of network. It's good yeah. to just be able to learn stuff, just you know, for free. Totally. Because because I feel like the other big problem with access to, is just it's just money. You know, like you have to be rich enough to be able to give the time to learn. It is so hard doing music from a working class background, <laughs> like, and it, it's also really it makes me sad because I know a lot of people who are really talented who've you know, given up because they've had to, you know, get a full-time job and then maybe they've had a kid um, and just not been able to, you know, juggle parentness yeah. and a job and doing music as well. Um, and, yeah, that makes me really sad. And then you go to, like, an event and everyone, it you know, has the Queen's English type of accent. There was something like indie musicians whose parents are um, have links on Wikipedia. There was a thing I saw a thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's it's oh you know I'm not gonna like slag anyone off from coming from a privileged background just because I'm jealous, but you know 
it's just I wish everyone had a bit of a fairer time. Yeah, it's it doesn't mean that you're having a go at individuals. It's like it's a systemic. Yeah, totally. Um, you've got a massive list of like really notable artists that you've worked with. An outrageous roster. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> how much do you work with them? Like, what's the interaction? Does it change based on the sort of level of the artist? Yeah, totally. Um, if you've got an artist who's kind of... Um, well, it sort of depends on the level of the artist, but also some artists really are nerds and that's amazing and some aren't and that's also cool too so some artists really want to you know be very involved with the mastering process and other artists are very happy to go no my label will deal with this I'm on tour that kind of thing so it just it really depends say sort of um self-funding artists and indie label artists are much more um involved um major label artists tend to you know just sort of their label yeah their label will deal with that because they've got other stuff to be getting on with um and also i think for major label artists it's kind of because there's always so much press around um a release they're sort of you know they that's their job really their job isn't necessarily to say is this master loud enough <laughs> or whatever the label and a people at labels listen to so many masters they know exactly what they're what they're listening for and stuff so yeah there's quite a lot of trust there and it kind of it depends and then sometimes um you know, artists a bit further on in their career will um, will produce their records. So we are scientists produced their last album, which I mastered, and fucking smashed it. Um, but they were in on the mastering process and stuff, and it was really cool to, you know, to work with them virtually because it was the pandemic. But yeah. But when when did you feel like you'd made it? Like which who was the artist where you kind of went oh. They are pretty big, actually. Um, I think Nadine Shah's album, that that was cool for me because I really like her music. And that was yeah. a sort of, you know, pinch me moment. And then I think Ash, because I listened to them so much growing up. Um, yeah. So did we. So did we. <laughs> yeah. And we are scientists as well. Again, I had, you know a poster of them on my bedroom wall when I was in high school. So Do they know that? I've not told them, no. You... Oh, well, hopefully they hear this and then they'll be fine. <laughs> um, how about artists like Arlo Parks versus uh, a, a big orchestra? What's the relationship like there? Because it's just so different, right, to, to work with those two sort of forms of music. Totally. I mean... Um, I love Arlo's label and we've got a really close relationship Um, the so I mastered the bonus disc for her for her record and um, worked really closely with with her label Transgressive on that Um, they're so good and yeah it was a really great experience um I'm just trying to remember because we did quite a lot of mastering, but I can't remember which bits of it have been released. So yeah. I don't want to talk about one thing and then sort of, oh no, it was the other bit that got released. But um, yeah, we we did quite a lot, and it was a it was a really great experience and a really big learning curve as well. Um, I really like to learn on every project that I do, and it was really cool, sort of working with her label because they are very experienced. Um, and have listened to masters from people with much more experience than I've got. And so they were able to give me really good feedback. And yeah, it was a really nice kind of um, experience. But then obviously, like the Royal Phil are a massive orchestra and don't know I exist, probably. Um, 
I yeah, don't... That's what I mean, like in terms of the relationship and how you work, it, it, it's almost like the point of ref- the point of contact makes such a big difference, right? Yeah, I mean, the point of contact for me was the Royal Phil for that album's producer, who is fantastic. Um, but it was because there were, you know, that was on a major label. There was a lot more people involved. It sort of really slowed down the process. Whereas, you know, Arlo's on transgressive and they are really experienced, really efficient and just really good people. It kind of, you know, it's a small team and it really speeds up the the process. Um, I can name, you know, lots and lots of top level producers and famous names but mastering i don't know any why is that do you think like and is there this sort of top top level that's doing beyonce's mastering and everyone within the industry knows them um well you know we were just talking about arla parks and you're a big fan so um the person that mastered arla parks's record is called Matt Colton and he's one of my favourite mastering engineers and I love his work and kind of, you know, it's probably really weird but everyone in the industry, everyone in the tech side of the music industry probably knows who he is because he's worked on some incredible records and done a fucking amazing job of it. Um, so, you know, there there are people but mastering's so quick um, you know, if you produce a record, you might be with the band for a month, whereas you'll probably master a record in a day. And so, yeah, I wanted to ask about because we've had, yeah, we get our master back in four to six hours. Is it that quick? So normally, um, you guys met Carla, my my bookings manager. She's fab. Yeah. Um, she'll normally schedule an hour per song in my diary. Um. But that's only for like the first draft master. So if a song needs revisions, then it's like another hour or whatever. Going back to like the whole creative influence thing is that we're too open to everyone's opinion. We're like, oh yeah, no, that's right. Let's do a complete 180 on, on that thing and change <laughs> this and ripple that up and start it again. But yeah, I think the um, maybe the reason it's there's not so many absolute household names in mastering is like you're saying because it's quick but also you're trying to do as little as possible uh you you are just trying to help it that little touch whereas a producer is to really put their their own mark on it so you can obviously hear it's it's them yeah and i think as well so um not all distributors when you upload your music um have a like a, a field for crediting the mastering engineer. Um, oh, right. So that's um, a thing. And it is, I think, when you're when you're a producer, you're probably going to sign a contract with the band, whereas you don't have that as a mastering engineer. And sometimes you just don't get, you know, credits and stuff. My friend's a manager, and she says that most of her job is chasing artists to get her producers credited um right. whereas wow. if my manager did that he'd be there for just years <laughs> um because it is a much quicker turnaround um but it's weird until quite recently mastering has been seen as something that you do when you're old um and i think that's really changing with sort of the accessibility of you know, gear is a lot cheaper. It's a lot more okay to have a home studio. Like, yeah, even when I started engineering, YouTube was a thing, but no one used it. There was no tutorials on there. It was just something that existed and that no one really cared about. Um, whereas now, everyone everyone's a YouTuber. Everyone's learning yeah. on YouTube. Everyone's making videos. Um but I think well, I mean, you got to learn in an actual studio. Well, you know, I didn't learn mastering in a, in an actual studio, but I did. Um, my first studio job was engineering, 
uh, in a studio in Manchester and I was engineering for um, an incredible um, performer called John Ellis who's just probably the most creative person I've ever met and um, a producer called Bill Eder who was 80 when I started working with him and it was just bonkers to learn from someone who'd seen like five decades of recorded history yeah um i just thought i would be making tea for these guys for a couple of months i was you know i was still doing my degree and um yeah to sort of to go in an engineer for bill and to learn from him was just amazing um so yeah i did get to learn in a really nice way and i'm like always every day so grateful for that because um I don't feel like that's a thing anymore. Like, people don't really... I don't know, studios have gone down the route of sort of production rooms, unless they're a massive studio. There seems to be, like, very few in-between size spaces at the moment. Um, and, yeah, it was just pure luck. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's this it's just like with all the great careers it's like everyone needs a bit of luck to get in at a certain level and then it's just like what you do with it you know so and now you're in like a great position like there's loads of excitement about what you're doing right and it's probably true of anyone that's 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 made something themselves within music it's just you just need a little luck to open the door totally although I can't stress enough how hard and an unhealthier journey this has been like you know doing a a full-time job and then mastering evenings and weekends is like um you know when you know you've got to do something um and you kind of mentally prepare yourself to do that for like a year or two um yeah but I wouldn't advise people can you tell us like any projects you're doing now or would that be like a breach of confidence you know what it's like it's it's some weird unspoken thing when i started mastering and i was working with you know friends bands they'd want me to shout about their record while i was working with them and then sort of as you progress people really don't want you to do that or like leak their album um and no one says anything but it's just always really implied that you never speak about the album until it's released or at least until it's been announced yeah um, i suppose they've just got like a set promo plan haven't they and it's yeah um i will tell you i am working on some records which i think you will both like i think i've got a sense of what you guys are into I think you will both be really excited by, but I can't tell you. What? So that's cryptic. That's such nonsense. <laughs> Thanks to Katie. Uh, I was really sad to not be on that recording. She Same. is, she's great, isn't she? She's really interesting. Guys, Kieran and Steve, good questions. Katie, good answers. Uh, she, 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 Katie <laughs> That's all you need. But I, th- I thought she spoke uh, really brilliantly uh, on all subjects there. Uh, she does great work in and out of music. Uh, I also love that she said the most important thing in mixing and mastering is the performance. And I 100% agree. Uh, and it's also the same with podcasts, which is why this one takes ages <laughs> to e- edit down. <laughs> I don't understand. Subpar performances why. all round. <laughs> Uh, Joe, before uh, before we listen to Katie, yeah, what was it? What was it that uh, that I said that annoyed you? Oh yeah, your fucking Kate Bush tweet when you said you didn't oh. like Kate Bush. Like I, oh, you mentioned God. that the other day, and yeah. Anyway, so look, it's fine because. And also, what reminded me of it was while I was editing this episode, is that it's brought up how damn narrow-minded you are. <laughs> I am. I'm embarrassed by I don't care that she's from Bexley East. I just don't Jack, care. Jack, you really pushed that tall playlist on me, so please. 
But I know that Kate Bush has obviously come up a lot recently, obviously because of the Stranger yeah. Things and everything else. But I mean, she's just a genuine genius. Yeah. No, oh, she is. And so. and and to be fair to Kieran, Kieran did tweet this out before the latest series of Stranger Things came out. So he was an idiot before it was called okay. to be an idiot. It's, and have a stupid <laughs> opinion yeah. on Kate Bush. Oh, it's just her voice. I just. I just don't understand her voice but is what, my issue. But that's so interesting because I think one of the best gigs I've ever been to was with you and Steve when we saw Joanna Newsom. And there's such a clear Kate Bush influence on her. Oh, yeah. but nothing sounds as bad as Wuthering Heights. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand. <laughs> Out of my top you. ten least vocal performances, uh, that's definitely in my top one. <laughs> is it really? That's your yeah. I, that, that annoys me no, the most. That can't how be a bad no joke. I don't understand how, in what criteria it's a bad vocal performance. I think that's incredible because it's jarring. That's it. But I think that's it, isn't it? Because like, because my least favorite vocal performances aren't because the person is necessarily bad at singing. They've got control over their voice, but their voice right. just annoys me. Like, uh, what was it? It's the, it's the, the ACD singer of Rush. Rush, not a fan. ACDC, Back in Black, that annoys me. Yeah. Uh, Coheed and Cambria. I don't. Do you know what? I couldn't name a song. I couldn't name a song by them. Don't need to. Creed. They're rubbish, mate. Creed is one of my least favourite Creed. Songs. But anyway. <laughs> sounds anything in, in Anything of that Creed. <laughs> Any hero you know singing what? is so, what I hate. Yeah. But yeah, Creed... What you're saying, though, Joe, yeah. I think, if I, if I can speak for you, you're saying Always. that Kieran is wrong. 100%. And so you will make him a mixed tape. That's exactly oh, what yeah. I'm going to do. And resuscitate oh, no. our first feature. Kieran, all right, okay, so Kieran, we know, we know you don't like Wuthering Heights. I'm not going to include that. But it's gonna, I'm going to give you a seven-track pa- seven Kate Bush playlist for you to listen to. And you don't need to include Run Up That Hill because... Okay, everyone's, everyone's, heard that. everyone's heard that. You've all no, heard that's that. That's fine. No, no, no. I'm going to give There's you, I'm gonna so give you seven stuff. classic Kate Bush beauties. I reckon there's loads of stuff that, that Kieran could vibe with. 100%, I reckon... Uh, How extensive is her catalogue? What are we talking? It's, it's fairly extensive. And do you know what? Fairly. I think you're someone that would like her more recent stuff. But I think you'd naturally na- have She's a natural aversion to it. And she had that Christmas album a few years yes. back. That was really, really good. And like Kieran, great me and you text each Christmas. other about how many days there is till Christmas <laughs> very often. We love Christmas, Kieran. <laughs> yeah, don't let this, this Kate Bush feud ruin your Christmas bonding. <laughs> In fact, let's move past this for now. Okay, let's fine. get back on a safe ground. Yep. Let's have some teenage bands. Yes, please. Yes. Well, I've actually got, I've got one for you, Joe. Oh, yes. that Joe, Joe always has to read them out, so he never gets to. I never get to, to just enjoy the them. Yeah, let's get. I, I've yeah. got. I've got a fresh one for my ears. I can't wait. Okay, so this is from Dave, Dave. and I'll tell you afterwards who it is. Oh, okay. We do. We, he's a he's a very successful and brilliant musician now. Okay, so I'm assuming yeah. it's okay. Dave, the singer of Coldplay. <laughs> that doesn't. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> Dave um, G. I was trying to think of a famous Dave. I can't think of any famous Dave. Dave Grohl. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, of course. All right. Yeah. Dave, Dave Gilmore. Dave Bono. Dave Bono. Dave Bono. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a brilliant band. That's Dave Bono. Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay. So Dave sent in four. He's and one of them is wrong. Oh, just one. Love it. Okay. Love one it. is wrong. Okay. So otherwise. Okay. okay. Is there a Z in there? No, no, no. Oh, I, I think that's real. Preconceived idea. 50-50, all numbers, forward slash in the middle of that. 50-50, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and Brucey bonus. Oh, that's too obvious God. to not be real. That's got to be the real. Only, the only bonus. one I'm convinced is real is the first one. Can I hear them again, please, Stephen? Otherwise, that's real. Yeah, definitely. Preconceived idea. Don't know. So Brent. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. It's either way. Brucey bonus. <sighs> I just don't feel. Even if you were trying to make a fake one, that would be the fake one you'd think of. Like Brucey bonus. Yeah. No, I think yeah. I have. A, I think Brucey bonus could be real. 
I think otherwise oh. is real. I think otherwise is great, actually. That's really strange. That, the the more I think about it, the more that's really making me laugh. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> just a nothing better name. <laughs> this is hard. This is a hard one. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in my little world here thinking about that. It's so fun. Uh, All right, right. I think, I think preconceived. Is it preconceived ideas? Or preconceived idea? Preconceived idea. I think that's the fake foregone conclusion. So, are we talking about Salinger earlier? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Come on. Last week, listeners. A group, a group answer. Well, Joe, Joe, you went with preconceived is um, the fake one. Preconceived idea. I'll, I'll go with that as well. I, I, this is a hard one, but I'll go with that yeah. too. Right now, I said wrong. I do believe I said wrong because not fake, because <laughs> although Dave was in three of these bands, right, they were all real bands. Oh, right, right. Oh, okay, my. Kieran. Who was which band was Dave not in? Fifty fifty. Okay. Well that's a toss of a coin, isn't it? That's a good joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good joke, guys. That is going straight nice. in. Straight that's going in, in the five. The in the that's time five. In the time yeah. five. Don't time worry about five, that. Yeah. <laughs> no. It was Brucey Bonus. He wasn't in he that. He wasn't in but Brucey Bonus. It was Bonus. his friend's band. Wow. Oh, oh. That's pretty but he was in otherwise. <laughs> That means he was. It, uh, by the way, I've listened to otherwise, and it's actually really, really good. Oh. <laughs> um, well, but, okay, they're my new favorite band. Fine. You know that that means that preconceived idea was a real band. Oh, that he was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said it was him and two mates that used to rent out village halls and practice, and they were obsessed with uh, Sam I Am, punk band. Okay. Right. Um, he bought a drum kit just to be in that band with no experience of playing drums wow. so you can imagine the the standard um and they uh the guitarist yeah nickname trickster yes broke one of his strings <laughs> and because they had no money it took him two months to replace oh it oh my god and they, they just played and gigged like that That's just with <laughs> strings. That's so good because there's no Mate. rules when you're in a teenage. No, band. who cares? Rusty no, strings. I still remember. Keep playing. Yeah, I still remember not being able to afford drumsticks. It was like I would wear them down to a fucking nub. Yeah, like you'd break them and you'd still play with it. You oh, know, because you just like gosh. you had to wait till you get paid. Do you, by one do you remember that feeling though of like when you'd broken the high E on your guitar, and you, that's not getting replaced for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and then when it's you like, have a six-string yeah. guitar again, it's like this is. Oh, it's like. <laughs> But some strings just... you always break live, Steve. Well, yeah, well, it's always D for me. Really? And and well, yeah. And my first horror story with that was do you remember when I said about one of my first bands. Right. I've got some more names for you in the future, by Can't the way. Wait. Oh, and in one of those bands, Banker. we were playing at the Mick Jagger Centre <laughs> mm-hmm. at one of these like pre-organised gigs, and there's just no like support in place. I broke a string, and I just re-strung it on stage. Oh my god! Like BB <laughs> King. <laughs> No, not like BB King because the song didn't continue. It was just silence, and it was just there was no music that came on or anything. The ego of this man—that's amazing. Stop the entire gig while I stand and restring my guitar. So, who's the Dave? There's, there's more to what this to what to what became of preconceived idea. Oh, okay. Just as they were about to play their first like real big gig, supporting a a big punk band in Leicester. Their singer, Gordon, quit, sold his bass because he wanted to take up tennis. Oh my god. <laughs> On the eve of the gig. Well, he wanted to test, as in start, a, a career. In yeah, tennis. yeah, like, no, yeah. On the eve of the gig, no, that's enough for me. I've gone far as I can with this. Sell yeah. it, I'm selling up and I'm getting into the tennis mat. The I just love the idea game. that like playing bass and playing tennis are so incompatible. Like you can't even like as an amateur play a tennis on the weekend and have a bass. <laughs> you got two choices. And fifty uh, fifty <laughs> was a was a scar a scar band. Right. Uh, Dave was on drums. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it said a, a review 
in the Leicester Mercury. Amazing. Said the Leicester the drummer Mercury. only seemed to know one beat, but he had some good jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the last little nugget from that band is that the singer had to do had to do that gig still in his window cleaning overalls because oh he comes God, straight from work. That's a, from I, window how's he, how late is he window cleaning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? Like it's it's he, he thought that was the the scene, the that's theme of so the band. Funny. That's a, right, so who was the Dave? Who was the Dave? Tell me. That's Dave Walters. Echelon, Echelon of Feet. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's a he is an ambient king, though. That's really yeah, funny. Yeah, right? and he. But I can say he is very funny, though. Yeah, he is abs- absolutely, hopefully, a, a future guest of this podcast. Oh, I'd love to have him on. Oh, and and listeners, if you don't know Echelon Effects, I assume a lot of you would. There, there'd be a huge crossover between people that know who we are yeah. and know who Echelon Effects is. I assume a lot more people know who Echelon Effects is than know who we are. But well, I remember trying to get him to play with us on our album launch. Yeah. And he wasn't getting a live show together, and now I know why. He's traumatised. Oh, these, well, of course. <laughs> from these gigs. <laughs> he's, he's worried if he puts on a live show, everyone's going to quit and start tennis. Love that. Thank you so much, Dave, for sending that in, and hopefully he will be on the podcast at some point soon, uh, so listeners can find out just how funny and interesting that guy is. Uh, and do go listen to his music. I'll be sure to include it in this week's playlist. Listen to the playlist. It's in the yeah. link in the description. Um, as is Two uh, Percent and Rising, Musicians Union, etc. Uh, thank you to Katie Tavini once again, uh, and thanks to uh, my friends Steve, Kieran, and Jack. Oh, mate! Yeah. Hey, I think that's, that's the most sincere thank you I think I've ever heard oh, from you. Well, look, guys. I mean, look, because it's hard for you. It is hard, and I hope, I hope, I hope, every, I hope everyone out there has enjoyed the show. I really do, because like we go through good times, we go through bad times. I want you times. to know that I know it's coming. It's good times <laughs> and bad times when, when we're when we're doing this thing, and uh, but you know you have to remember if you want to if you want the crane, you've got to put it with the paper. Oh, oh we've done it again. <laughs> Night, this, night this is, you, could have, you could have done a parody of the whole line there. The whole there's a whole song. It's just lazy. 